Hello. Today is Friday, February 9th, and welcome to episode 295 of Faultline, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm NSI's Deputy Executive Director, Jessica Jones, and today I almost, you guys had the pleasure, we didn't know, we had a surprise attack by our own Jamil Jaffer. We thought we wouldn't get him in the studio today, but we did. And we're also joined by our NSI senior fellows, Les Munson and Morgan Vigna. So today we're doing a little bit of spin of the globe, moving away from the, the Middle East and talking about Ukraine. On Sunday, Ukrainian President uh, Zelensky publicly confirmed that he is considering dismissing Ukraine's top military official, General Zelizhny, saying Kiev needs a new change of leadership. For more than a week, uh, Ukrainian and American media reports have detailed the rift between the two, um, report, uh, indicating that Zelensky had asked the general to resign in a meeting, but that the general had refused. Some reports also state that the current beef started when the general, who has led the Ukraine's uh, military since 2021, told The Economist that the war had reached a stalemate and there, there would be no, quote, beautiful breakthrough. The general is a popular figure in Ukraine, having overseen the war since the conflict began, and he's popular both amongst soldiers and society at large, which means replacing him could be politically risky for Zelensky. And I'm kind of doing a less move here because we're also going to talk about one specific article, a Washington Post article by David Ignatius that came out on Wednesday, which emphasizes the role that technology is playing in the in the conflict and the acknowledgement by both Russia and Ukraine, um, you know, the focus on advanced drones, digital battle management systems and the impact that they're having. Uh, Ignatius calls it a algorithm war and one that's rewritten the rules of conflict. So first questions, guys, what do we think about this move? What's Zelensky thinking? Um, is it going to make a change? Is it going to have an impact? Les, I'll go to you first. Uh, thanks, Jones. I, I am no military strategist, so I'm not going to be able to evaluate the performance of any general, to be clear. Uh, I, but I do think this is a consequence of Ukraine's counteroffensive last spring and summer not being uh, as robust and effective as people thought it should be. I think in terms of U.S. policy, that's directly related to the decisions the Biden administration has made about the kinds of weapon systems it was providing and is providing to Ukraine. It has made a, a positive decision, a, a, a an affirmative decision not to provide the most capable weapons to the Ukrainians. Ukrainians can't strike Russian supply lines inside Russia. Their ability to strike the Russians in Crimea, which is a vulnerable place for them, is not as great as it should be. So in my mind, the, the issue here is Biden administration performance. I think this discussion of algorithms is a little bit of a distraction. The U.S. and the West will win any war that is based on technology. The Russian advantage is when it comes to a war of attrition, which what the, which is what this has become. Uh, Jamil, what's your take? Do you agree with Les that we, the U.S. has not been delivering the kind of uh, capabilities that, that Ukraine needs? Yeah, I mean, look, this has been the problem from the beginning, right? We slow walked in uh, main battle tanks, the M1 Abrams, uh, British Challenger tanks, uh, Russian uh, German Leopard tanks. Those were all slow walked. We didn't get those into the fight for over a year, year and a half. Uh, we're still just training the Ukrainians. Uh, F-16s still aren't effectively in the fight. We just a few months ago got attackums in there. I mean, even there, even those are limited in range. Um, so look, I think Les is exactly right. We're not giving Ukraine what they need to win. We're giving them enough enough to fight. And the problem is enough to fight means what we see, a stalemate, right? And so I think part of the challenge is the Biden administration is scared of their own shadow. They're worried if the Ukrainians are too successful that Vladimir Putin might come in with nuclear weapons. Well, then how do you fight a war? If you're not fighting a war to win, what's the goal here? And that's part of what you see 
Republicans responding to. And there's a combination of things going on with Republicans on the Hill. One is the Donald Trump MAGA team pressure. Uh, that comes from, I think, in part, just a sort of a weird fascination with Vladimir Putin, as well as a sort of, you know, isolationist sort of mentality of we don't want to be involved in this war. At the same time, there are, you know, reasonable Republicans who have concerns about the way this war is being fought because there's no plan for winning. And so I think that's part of the challenge here. Um, at the end of the day, though, I think I think Les um, and, and, and David Ignatius are right about the sort of changing face of war. Um, and so I think that's one of the interesting questions that's still out in play here. And Morgan, what do you make of uh, Ignatius's piece? Well, so I think he's spot on in that the, the future of modern warfare has been forever changed. Ukraine and Russia are, are that example. I think moving forward in the future wars, we're going to see a lot more reliance on technology. One thing that I think he does miss, though, is the so what? Why does this matter for the United States? And so I think we need to take sort of a moment of self-reflection, taking a look at the Ukraine-Russia war and really take a hard look at how we need to modern, modernize in our own technology. Specifically, you know, we talked last week to the, the man on the street interviews that Jamil did with, with the New Hampshire voters. They clearly want a strong America. They couldn't necessarily articulate whether or not, you know, we needed a massive defense budget, but it takes money to modernize, to make America strong abroad. We need to invest that. We have amazing startups from Texas to California, Boston, Florida, across the country. And we need to be really taking a hard look and what it's going to take now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now and beyond to really make those investments to ensure that the United States continues to be that global superpower. Les, I want to take your comment about battle of attrition. So some of the pieces, you know, whether it's Ignatius or others discuss, you know, Ukraine understood the con the role that technology would play in this conflict early on, but Russia caught on and now that advantage that Ukraine has has diminished, right? And so Russia is now retooling its own industrial complex. It's moving outside sanctions to North Korea and China to, to, you know, resupply its own drones while we're not helping, you know, we're not re rearming Ukraine. You know, how does Ukraine, what's the next advantage Ukraine can take advantage of? How do they sit here now and in, in looking forward to the next year? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spin the globe back to the Middle East a little bit and say what Zelensky should be doing is lobbying the Biden administration to restore sanctions on Iran. It is Iran that is providing all of these drones that the Russians are using. And the administration, the Biden administration has missed every single opportunity to restore sanctions and add sanctions to the Iranian economy. That would make a long-term difference here. This war is not going to stop tomorrow. It's going to take, take a lot longer. We should be thinking long-term here. That means constraining Iran's ability to to come to the aid of the Russians. If you guys aren't watching on video, you Jamil just almost jumped out of his seat. So I know he has something to say. <laughs> well, look, I mean, I, I think Les is exactly right. I mean, look, the Iranians have poured, I don't know, billions of dollars into this fight. The Russians have paid the Iranians billions of dollars for these Shahid drones and the like that are very successful in the fight. I think this is a perfect case in point, right, of how these globally repressive powers are coming together uh, and really unifying their efforts. So Iran's helping Russia with drones in Ukraine. They're taking in a bunch of money outside of the sanctions regime. They're then spending that on on terrorist attacks like the ones that are killing American soldiers in Iraq, Syria, that are causing the allowing the Houthis to attack commercial shipping in the Red Sea. There is a effort going on here that is not uncoordinated, and it's not just Russia and Iran. It's also the Chinese. It's also the North Koreans. And the sooner we realize that this is not – these are not two different fights. The fight with Israel and Hamas is not a different fight than Russia-Ukraine. And so when you see this talk on Capitol Hill about, oh, we need to divide this up, the House is saying, the Speaker is saying – we should just vote on Israel aid alone and not vote on border, not vote on, not vote on Russia, Ukraine. That is wrong. Mitch McConnell actually has it exactly right. 
these wars are interlinked and related. And and, and the, the proof is in the pudding, right? We've seen Russian documentation now leaked just in the last couple of days that demonstrates the billions of dollars that are going to Iran. And by the way, it's not just money, too. It's also technology. They're taking NATO capabilities off the battlefield, giving them to Iran so Iran knows what to prepare for if there is a NATO-US-led fight, Israel fight against Iran directly. So that's another part of the relationship going on here as well. Painting a gloomy picture, um, which is probably why your catchphrase is the world is on fire. Um, with that, that's a wrap. Uh, thanks so much to Devlin, Bernie, Claude Jennings, and the entire NSI team for their help in producing today's episode. Join us again on Monday, February 12th, for another episode of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security and foreign policy debates shaping up America. We're on YouTube, so if you want to see Jamil jumping out of his seat, please watch there. And uh, if you like what you heard or saw, please share to rate, review, and subscribe. Have a great weekend, folks.